All right. Good morning. Well, it's good to again to be with you guys this morning. Um, and um, this morning, I want to talk to you guys about you know you just talked about you know talking to God, and that's what I want to talk to you guys this morning about about earnest prayer. But before we do that, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, God, for this morning. We thank God for life and for who you are. God, you are awesome, you're powerful, and you're wonderful. And we give you praise for being our God. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, God, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Bless our time. Help us to learn from your word. And I pray that whatever distractions that are on our minds this, today, just allow, allow those distractions to just be silenced so that we can focus on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn in the book of Acts chapter 12. That's Acts chapter 12. When you find it, say, oh yeah. All right, that was fast. All right, so the title of my message this morning is The Power of Earnest Prayer. And I was listening, there was this podcast um, about this missionary. Um, he lived in the Czech Republic, and he served there, um, well, he lived there for, for some time, and then he, he was called to, to full-time ministry, uh, to missions. And he went to, to Sudan um, to do full-time missions. And while there, he was, he was captured by ISIS fighters, and he was in prison for 14 months. Um, one of his cellmates was, um, was, was involved in the beheading or was beheaded um, on the shores of Sudan uh, several years ago, if, if some of you guys remember um, that news incident. Um, but every night, this guy's name was Peter from the Czech Republic, and every night at 9 o'clock, Peter, um, even though he was surrounded by ISIS fighters um, in, in, a, in a prison cell, he was able to go to sleep every night at nine o'clock for uh, 14 months until he was released. He was finally, re- when he was finally released, um, he went back to the, to the Czech Republic um, to thank his church uh, for praying for him. And when he went back, he was talking with the, the church members and everything there. And a few of them said, you know, Peter, every night, we set our clocks and our watches and, and you know, our phones and everything to, um, to pray for you at eight o'clock every single night since you were, um, when you were imprisoned. And the amazing thing is that um, Peter was able to fall asleep at nine o'clock every night in Sudan for 14 months um, and, and sleep all night um, despite his, his, his situation. Um, and the thing is eight o'clock in the Czech Republic, it's nine o'clock in Sudan, the exact same time that the disciples, well, the, the Christians there were praying for him um, while he was in Sudan. So there is power in earnest prayer. And this morning in Acts 12, we're going to see another Peter who was able to fall asleep while he was in a prison cell. So if you would, would you please stand with me in honor and reverence to the, to the word of God as I read um, Acts 12? I'll just read the first five verses and we'll pick up from there after. It says, About the time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. 
And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Thank you. You can be seated. So in our passage today, we're going to see how God often does the, the unexpected when we develop an attitude of earnest prayer. So there are seven truths that I see from, from, from this passage. The first one is that God allows persecution. He allows persecution. He allows trials. How many of us had, had, have had trials before? All right, we've all had trials, right? God allows this. And we see this in, in verse 12, um, verse 1, sorry, of chapter 12. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. So God, he allows persecution. He allows trials to happen in our life. Um, Herod here mentioned in, in verse 1, um, there are several Herods uh, that we see through the New Testament. We, we've heard of Herod. Um, Herod the Great, he was, um, he ruled during the time of Jesus' birth. He was the one who had all male children under the age of two uh, executed. So this was Herod the Great. And then we, we had Herod Antipas. He was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And now we see here Herod Agrippa I. He's the Herod that we see in, in this uh, chapter. And then we have Herod Agrippa II, who, who we see in Acts 25, 26 around there. Um, but all these, all these men, um, Herod, they were, they were mean and they were cruel. Um, they, they, were, um, they were politicians and they, they were just wicked and they wanted to further their own agenda. And Herod Agrippa, he was quite the politician. Um, he worked hard to curry favor with the Jews. And we see this in verse two, it says, he killed James, the brother of John with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So he killed James, all right? This is um, James, the brother of John, all right? Um, um, and it says James was killed by the sword. When it mentions that he was killed by the sword, it usually means that he was beheaded. So James was the first um, apostle to be executed. Um, and James and John, they were brothers and they were known as the sons of thunder um, in, in, in the gospels. And one interesting account happens in Matthew 20 when uh, James, the mother of James and John comes to Jesus and says, she asked for a, a place of prominence for James and John. And Jesus looked at her and said, um, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And Jesus is talking about, about persecution and they didn't know that. So they are like, yeah, we can drink your cup. Um, but they were looking for, for prestige, but Jesus was warning of persecution. And James, he was executed. Um, he was the first um, apostle to die. And then John, his brother was exiled, um, who later, uh, he wrote the, um, the, the, the book of Re Revelation. So, Having received praise for killing James and, and, and seeing that it, he found favor, Herod decides to arrest Peter also. So he arrests Peter, and not only that, he, he put 
um, four squads of four soldiers on Peter. You see, Herod was a little bit leery of Christians because Christians, they were known for pulling disappearing acts, right? Because we had Jesus, he disappeared from the tomb, right? He was gone. Then we had Paul who, was, who escaped Damascus in a basket. And then we had Peter here who escaped prison, not once, but twice. All right, so Herod, he's like, you know what? Four, guard, uh, four guards for, for four shifts. So you put four guards, uh, four squads of four soldiers um, to, to watch over, over James. Um, but the turning point in, in this passage happens in verse five. And in verse five, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, um, made by God, made to God, uh, by the church. So when their leader was, was locked up, when he was on, on, on death row, the disciples were praying earnestly for him. And the word earnest here is um, the Greek word extenos. Extenos means urgent. It means diligent. It means unceasing. Um, it's, it's used to describe an athlete straining forward to reach the finish line. It's related to the, the medical, uh, the Greek word extenes, which is a, a medical term used to describe muscles stretching to its furthest limits. And it's only used one other th- time in the Gospels, and that's in, in Luke, Luke 22, where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. Um, so much of our prayer you know, we need to ask ourselves, is our prayer earnest like the disciples who are praying here? Is it earnest prayer? Um, much of our prayer lacks power because it's not earnest prayer. It says earnest prayer has the power not because in, it, it in itself persuades a reluctant God. Instead, it demonstrates that our heart cares passionately about the things God cares about. So, while Herod was planning Peter's execution, um, the church was earnestly interceding for him. Herod had all the power of the state, but these believers had all the power of heaven. They were living out what Jesus commanded in Luke 18.1. He said, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So can I ask the, the question, can I ask, do you pray earnestly? Do you persist in prayer? Does this church come together regularly and commit, and commit to earnest prayer? Don, Donald Whitney says this. He says, despite the penultimate importance of prayer, however, statistical surveys and experience seem to agree that a large percentage of professing Christians spend little time in sustained prayer. While they may offer a sentence of prayer here and there throughout their day, they rarely spend more than a few minutes, if that, alone conversing with God. R.C. Sproul said it painfully. He said, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to pray earnestly because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. I've been doing some doctoral work and I've been um, doing some research. And um, I've, over the past few weeks, I've interviewed several pastors um, and just you know, talked about their, their spiritual disciplines. 
And a lot of the, the pastors who are stressed out, who are having marital problems, um, and who are just overworked, you know, what I, I saw in the research was that their devotional time was 15 to 30 minutes. They spend 15 to 30 minutes being with God every day. That's the total time uh, they spend with God. And that included their prayer time. So again, it's just a reminder that we need to do the, the earnest work and the intentional work of spending time with God in prayer. Donald Whitney mentioned before, I just mentioned this quote, that they spend more than just a few minutes in prayer. Does that describe you? I know at times it definitely describes me. I'm too rushed, I'm too busy, and I can just offer up a quick prayer to God and then go about my day. But in this passage, the, the account is that the disciples, they were praying earnestly for, for Peter. So the third truth I want to point out here is that God gives peace. So God, he allows trials and persecutions. All right. Um, the disciples are, um, are praying. And because the disciples are praying, God gives peace. This is one unexpected result of, of this account is found in, in verse six. It says, now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So Peter, he is bound to, to two soldiers, one is right, one is left, and there's two soldiers in guarding the cell door. And Peter is able to sleep. How many of you guys would be able to do that? To fall asleep while chained in a, in a dark, dirty prison? Not sure I would have been able to do that, but like Peter from the Czech Republic, Peter's peace came from intimacy that he had with God and the prayers of God's people. Perhaps Peter was meditating on Psalm 4.8, in peace I will lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Maybe Peter was, he remembered Jesus's words in John 21, 18, that says, when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress and carry you where you do not want to go. Maybe Peter was thinking about these things and it gave him peace and that he was able to fall asleep. But one thing we know is that the church was earnestly praying for Peter and he was able to fall asleep. So here's an application for, for, for you and for me. If you're, if, if you're struggling to sleep because you're worried about all the trials that are happening in your life, all the things that, are, are, that you need to take care of and, and, you just, and, and, you, and you just can't sleep because of it, you know, ask someone to pray for you and claim God's promises and look for the result. Because God often does the unexpected when we develop an attitude of earnest prayer. So the, the fourth truth is that God sends his presence. So after giving Peter peace and allowing him to fall asleep, God sends his presence in, in verse seven. It says, and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the, in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So God not only gives Peter peace, but he sends his presence. The sense behold, it's like suddenly, it just happened. All of a sudden, just the angel disappeared. And Peter is, is sleeping so soundly in the prison 
that the, the light from the angel of the Lord doesn't even make him move. He just like, he's just so, so content to sleep and, and in peace, even though he's chained in a cell. So when you're in a jam, when you are experiencing trials, when, when there's storms of life, you know, revolving around you, remember that God's angels stand around you, um, watching over you, protecting you. It says in Psalms 34, seven, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. So when you're struggling, when you're fearful, when you have these trials, remember that that God is with you and he sends his angels to watch over you. The fifth root in, in this passage is that God displays his power. So God sends his presence and now God displays um, his power. So, and we see this in verse through in verse seven to verse 10. And it says again, and behold, the angel of the Lord stood next to him and the light shone in the cell. And it says he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So the word struck here, it's not like a tap on the shoulder or a little you know, tap that says, get up. It means a forceful blow. It, so Peter wasn't touched by an angel. He was smacked by a celestial being, all right? Um, it, it wasn't just like a, hey, time for you to get up, all right? It was a, a forceful blow that was so strong that it, it woke Peter up. Um, uh, so, and it's a good thing that, that Peter didn't hit the snooze button, all right? Because back in, in 2 Kings, it, it talks about how the angel of the Lord struck down 185,000 people who didn't, who, who didn't obey God. So it's probably a good thing he didn't hit the, the snooze button because who knows what would have happened. All right, um, so in Acts 12, 8, you know, the angel strikes him, uh, strikes him, wakes him up, and then gives him some short crisp instructions. He says, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So the angel wakes him up, um, gives him some instructions and says, follow me. And the idea here, follow me, is not just, um, come with me, but it's a continuous action. It's follow me, keep following me. And how many of us, you know, keep following through with our prayers? How many of us just offer our prayer and just like drop it there, but you don't keep following up and saying and pleading and bringing it at God's feet, pleading for God to answer. So the angel said, follow me or keep following me. Um, so Peter was told to follow without even knowing where he was going. Um, so in the midst of this miracle that, that's happening, um, Peter is given some practical responsibilities. The angel, he could have put his, his sandals on. He could have put his cloak on for him, but he didn't. Warren Wesby says this. He says, God alone can do the extra, extraordinary, but his people must do the ordinary. You see, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but the people had to roll the stone away. So God does what he, what we can do, and we must do what only we can do. Also notice the angel didn't say, hurry up and run for your life. He never said that, right? He just gave him some instructions and he said, come follow me. Calm, cool, and collective. Um, so one pastor put it this way. He says, God's omnipotence is never in a hurry for everything is under God's control. So, um, God is all powerful. He's all, he's, he's, he's all, he's in control of everything that you and I face. 
Um, and he calls us to follow him even when we don't know where he's leading us. In verse 9, we see Peter obeying even though he was still in a fog. It says in, in verse 9, And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was, what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. And in verse 10, it says, when, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along the street, and immediately the angel left him. So Peter is completely passive in this whole account. He is um, sleepwalking in a, in a sense. Um, he's, he's thinking it, it's a dream, um, and he's just like falling along. So, you know, God's power continues to be on display, and it says the gates open, all right? The Greek word is, is automate, from which we, we get the word automatic, all right? So this is the angel of the Lord again doing what he did back in, in Acts 5 when the prison doors automatically opened. Um, and here again in Acts 12, the angel of the Lord had the gates automatically open. Peter didn't, he, Peter didn't have to do anything at all. All he had to do was follow the instructions that he was given uh, by the Lord. Um, so Peter, and, I, and again, this is not like a, a Jack Barr scene where, you know, Peter knocks out the, the guards, you know, sneaks past the, the cameras and um, escapes. But again, this is just Peter just being completely passive, allowing God to lead him. And Hebrews 1.14 says, you know, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Um, it, it talks about angels there. So, and after the angel vanishes in verse 11, it says, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So I wonder if Peter had this in mind when he later wrote Second Peter, and he says, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. So again, God has you in mind. God, God knows everything that you're going through. He knows every trial. He knows every, every, every hardship. Um, and he, he's, he has his angels watching over you, and he's, he's there ready to rescue you. So, because God often does the unexpected when we develop an attitude of, of earnest prayer. And the sixth truth I, I see in here is that God uses imperfect people. And this part of the story is a, is a little bit comical um, and, and humorous. So Peter, he, um, he needs to do only what he can do. He's, um, he was brought out of the prison miraculously. He passes the guards and gets out of the gate and everything. And now he's in the middle of the street and trying to figure out, okay, what do I do from here? Um, but he remembers that there's a group of people praying for him. So the, the Christians are all gathered at the house of Mary. Uh, Mary is the, um, the, the sister of uh, Barnabas and who's the mother of John Mark. And if you, if you read through the book, uh, John Mark accompanied uh, Paul on his, on his first missionary journey. So the angel could have taken uh, Peter to Mary's house um, and could have led him directly there. But again, it shows that um, God only does the miraculous when it's absolutely necessary. So after considering his release from prison, Peter is like, okay, what do I do now? 
But then he remembers the disciples, are, are, the, the Christians are praying for him. So he's like, okay, I'll go to, uh, to Mary's house. Maybe he wanted to, to show them that, you know, how God answers prayer. But for some reason, he decided to go to Mary's, Mary's house. And he knocks on the door. And when he knocks on the door, this little girl comes out. It says um, in verse, um, verse 12, he says, When he realized this, this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did, she did not open the gate but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. So this little girl, her name's Rhoda. Um, her name means Rose. So Rosie, she, she heard Peter's voice. She saw him and she became filled with joy. The word joy here, it, it's like glad exaltation. She was super excited to see Peter. She, she, she had heard his voice before and she was so excited that he was, he was free, that he was standing right at the door. She forgot to open the door and she ran and she told the disciples, she's like, Peter, Peter is here. Um, so, you know, and it makes me think too of, of the woman who came to the tomb and, you know, when Jesus had risen and they found out that he was gone. It says in Matthew 28, 8, it says, so they depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they ran to tell the disciples. So Rhoda had this type of joy, this glad exaltation that prayer was answered. And she ran to, to the Christians and said, Peter has escaped. He is at the door. And like all adults that we are, it's like, no, you're nuts. You're crazy. All right. Literally, that's what they told her. Um, uh, it says in verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is, it is his angel. So the, the, word, the word here for out of your mind is the, is the Greek word manias, which we get the word maniac, right? So in a sense, what they were saying is, child, you're crazy. You're mad. Just hush. All right. So they didn't believe her. Um, but you think these prayer warriors would rejoice at the news that Peter um, had been freed, that he had escaped prison. But instead, they were... Uh, they were faithless and they were telling her you're out of, out of, out of your mind. So, but really Rosie had some, some spiritual spunk. She kept insisting it's Peter. It was like, no, it's not Peter. It's it's angel. It's like, yes, it's Peter. And she kept insisting. She had, she had that spunk about her and she kept insisting that it was Peter. It, it meant that she, she, she asserted strongly. Oh, she kept steadfastly, affirming that what she was saying was correct. So she's like, Peter is at the door. I'm telling you, Peter is at the door. And it's like, no, you're out of your mind. No, Peter is at the door. And she kept going on and on because she was, she believed so strongly and she knew what she was saying was true. So the answer to, the, to the, these Christians' prayers was standing right at the door, but they didn't have enough faith to open the door and let him in. I like what Warren Wesby says. He says, God could get Peter out of a prison, but, but Peter couldn't get himself into a prayer meeting. So, um, but Peter kept knocking. Um, in verse 16, it says, but Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door, they saw him and they were amazed, which means they were astonished, which means they were bewildered. 
Um, and they, they, they probably started cheering and rejoicing and everything. They, they probably started getting so loud in verse 17. It says Peter had to quiet them down and say, shh, you know, keep, keep the noise down. I know you guys are excited and everything, but just, just keep it down because he didn't want Herod's henchmen to hear and, and come back and, and throw him back in prison. So, and then he gave them instructions. He's like, you know, tell James and the brothers what happened. And then Peter uh, packed up and he left. The James mentioned here is not the James who was beheaded. Um, it's James, the half-brother of Jesus, um, who went on to, to write the book of James. So Peter, um, he gave them the instructions and he, he left. So God answers earnest prayer. We see how God answers earnest prayer here. But, but before we move, move on, you know, um, you know, don't miss how God used this young girl, Rhoda, um, and that's kind of like, you know, it ties into the ministry of CEF. I can see several qualities here from, from Rhoda. She had, um, she, she, her job was just, just to open the door for whoever came in that night. And, and she, she persisted in that job. She had unquestioned serving. Um, she, she opened the door faithfully, even late at night. Um, she had unusual discernment. She immediately recognized Peter's voice. She had unbounded joy. Um, she broke into spontaneous exaltation when Peter was released. Um, she had immediate obedience. You know, when she recognized Peter was, uh, was at the door, she ran and she, she told the Christians that Peter is, is, is free. And she even absorbed criticism. Even when the adults was telling her, the adults were telling her, you're out of your mind, she persisted. Um, even when she was dis, uh, dismissed. And again, it reminds us that, that children, they're not too young to, to follow after God. They have, you know, we may underestimate, you know, the power of God in their life, but never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. So that was just a side note right there. Um, but we also see how, um, how human this encounter is. You know, how many times do we pray like these disciples? We, we pray and we ask God for something uh, and, we, and we beseech God, but we don't act like he's going to answer our prayer. It reminds me of a church that called a prayer meeting to ask God to send rain from a terrible drought. And everybody showed up. To the, to the prayer meeting and only one person showed up with an umbrella. Um, because that's how, how, how we pray sometimes. We pray and we, uh, and we really want God to answer, but we don't pray earnestly and act like if God is, is really going to answer our prayer. So, but, but this account gives us, you know, um, you know, shows us that God, he answers fervent but faithless prayers. How many times do we pray fervently but we act faithlessly in, in our prayers. You see, God, the disciples, the, the Christians here, they were, they were praying earnestly for, for Peter's release. And they were praying all night. But when Peter was at the, at the door, they didn't believe that it was him. I'm sure that's, um, you, know, you know, I often pray like that myself. You know, I'm like the dad in, in Mark 9, 24, that says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So I'm so glad this is in the Bible, not because it's comical or, or humorous, but it shows that, you know, Rhoda is just like us. 
And the, the, the Christians there in the early church, they're just like us. They, they do the, the same exact things that we do today. They go to God in prayer, asking God to answer. And they don't believe that he's going to answer what they're praying for. But in verse seven, um, the seven truths, sorry, that I, I see in this is that in, in verse 18 and 19 is that God's purposes prevail. It says in verse 18 and 19, it says, now that they, when, when they came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened, what had happened to Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So God's purposes prevailed. He was able to, to get Peter out of, out of prison miraculously and accomplish his purpose. So God's purposes prevail when we, de- when we develop an attitude of earnest prayer. No matter what problems we face, God always accomplishes his purpose. You know, Hudson Taylor, a renowned missionary to China, he said, you know, in any great work of God, there, there are three steps. First, it's impossible, then it's difficult, and then it's done. And, you know, part of, uh, you know, that's, you know, um, part of the ministry of CEF, that's kind of like where we're at right now. It, it's not impossible because we are reaching children, um, but we are in a difficult phase. We need staff, we need volunteers, we need students, we need uh, finances, we need prayer partners, we need board members, all right? And it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to get those things to keep our ministry moving forward. But like I shared earlier, our, our prayer, our, 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 like our focus this year is praying to the God of the harvest to meet those needs for us. And um, I trust that whatever needs you have as a church, whatever needs that you have individually, that you would come to God earnestly and bring those requests to him, trusting and having faith that he will answer. I know you guys are looking for a pastor. Pray and ask God to send the right pastor to this particular church so that he can grow this church and impact this community for Christ. So no matter what problems come, God always accomplishes his purpose because God often does the impossible when we develop an attitude of earnest prayer. And I have four applications real quick before we close. The first that we can, we can apply to our lives here is that when we pray, trust God's timing. You see, heaven was silent on Saturday, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There was no answer about Peter. Thursday, Friday, still no answer about Peter's release. But at the last minute, on the same night he was supposed to be executed, Peter was, was released. Spurgeon said this, he says, God is, God is never before his time, nor is he ever too late. He comes just when he is needed. So remember, God takes his time. So we need to trust him today and tomorrow for the answer for our prayers. What do you need to trust God with today? What request do you need to bring God and trust that he will answer? The second uh, point is submit to God's sweet sovereignty. I can't explain why James uh, was killed and Peter spared, but again, it was all part of God's plan. And there's something special about prayer. There's something mysterious about prayer because God, he commands us to pray. Um, and um, James Montgomery Boyce says this, he says, God had determined to save Peter 
But the way in which God had determined to save Peter was in response to the prayers of the Christians who were praying. So trust in God's timing and look to God for, for that answer. Also ask God to set you free from the prison of sin. I, I love the phrase, and the chains fell off. So when the angel struck Peter, he got up and the chains fell off. And the chains fell off is a metaphor of, of God wants, wanting to free us from sin. Maybe you're here today and, and you've never trusted Christ as your savior. Maybe you've just been attending church. And right now, you know, God wants to free you from those chains. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants those chains to be off, off of you. And if you're here today and you've never made that, that decision to follow Christ, you know, do that today. He wants you to admit that you've messed up, admit that you've sinned, to believe in the Lord Jesus and to choose him as your Lord and savior. And when you do that, you will be free from that punishment for sin and you will have an eternity with him. So ask God to set you free from the prison of sin. Also intentionally develop the habit of earnest prayer. And I said intentionally develop the habit of earnest prayer because a lot of us are, are just comfortable just spending a few minutes in prayer each day and that's it. But Martin Luther said this, he, he said, um, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. So it's our business to engage in the work of prayer, to intentionally develop that habit in our lives, to keep seeking God's face. George Mueller said this, he says, the great fault of the children of God is that they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If they desire anything for God's glory, they should pray until they get it. Mila goes on to say, he has given me unworthy as I am, immeasurably above all I have asked or thought. So intentionally develop the attitude of earnest prayer. Because when you intentionally do that, you will, you will draw closer to God. You will know his heart the way he knows yours. And the fourth application is a persevering pursuit of God in prayer promises to reward any amount of frustration and discouragement for, um, with prayer. How many times you sit down to pray and you start off praying and all these things just flood your minds. Like I need to go, I need to go wash the car or I need to pay these bills or I need to do this, I need to do that. And you have all these thoughts in your mind and, and then you forgot, you know, you spend like 15 minutes, you know, there in a posture of prayer, but not really praying. Half that time was just thinking about other things and not really praying. But God promises that when we seek him, when we commit our prayer life to him, he will help us. He will help us to become um, disciplined and he will um, in increase our ability to pray in the way that, that he wants you to. So don't let the enemy tempt you to silence cynicism that God can answer the prayers that you bring to him. Let the love that you have for the Lord lead you into a vibrant, flourishing life of prayer. Because when you do that, you will develop intimacy with him and you will see things happen that you never dreamed possible. And that's one, one thing that we're focusing in our ministry this year is prayer. Praying for our staff, praying for future leaders for our ministry, um, praying for the, the children and their families, because we want to see 
the gospel go forward and change lives. And these disciples, these first Christians here, they were praying earnestly for Peter's release. And because of their earnest prayer, Peter was released. And in the same way, you know, we have that power, that same power that they had. We can tap into that same power of heaven, bring our request to God and see great things happen. But the, the step that we, that we first must take is to begin intentionally uh, improving our prayer life. Don't just settle for five or 10 minutes a day in prayer, but seek to know God more intimately through an, an earnest attitude of prayer. So I, I trust that, that you've, you've heard the passage here. I trust that, that, that you saw the earnestness that these disciples or these early Christians had um, when they prayed. And I trust that would become your heart as well um, to pray and to see God's face and, and, as, and as a result, see, see the answer to your earnest prayer. Let, let's pray. Father, some trust in chariots, some trust, trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Father, we thank you, God, for who you are and all that you do for us. Lord, I pray for each and every person here that they would develop an attitude of earnest prayer. Give us a heart, God, to seek your face, to come before your, your, your throne and beseech you, God. Help us to live for you and do all that you've called us to. Help us to see the glory of answered prayer. I pray that you would bless the rest of our time today. May we bring glory to you in everything that we do and everything that we say, God. Thank you, God, that we have complete access to you. And thank you, God, that you, that you do hear us and you do answer, even when we don't see it. In Jesus' name, amen.